Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 56th edition of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the great American singer and actor Howard Keel, best known for starring in MGM musicals in the 1950s and in the TV soap opera Dallas from 1981 to 1991. Howard Keel died in 2004 at the age of 85. This interview took place in California in 1992, and we began by discussing what he was working on. You've been recording a few albums in the last year or so. Well, in the last uh, few years I've recorded about, uh, I think, four albums. What about performing plans? Have you got many? Not really right now. I just took six months off and decided I'd just uh, do some things I wanted to do and had to do. There's some talk over here about doing Kismet, and that's the reason for the beard. I thought I'd go over the things, see what it looks like. I'll go to, to England uh, in March. They're making me uh, an honorary member of the council of the NSPCC, and uh, so I'll do that, and I'm going to do a, a show with uh, Bruce Forsyth, the BBC, his first show. I'm looking forward to doing that because I enjoy Bruce. You know. Is he an old buddy of yours, Bruce? Oh, yeah, old golfing buddy and uh, and a performer from way back. You know, he's a he did a one man show over here about uh, four or five years ago, and he was remarkable. I didn't know how multifaceted this this man is because he did he did for two hours. He danced, he sang, he just did everything. He tapped, he did the the most wonderful imitation of Sammy Davis Jr. that I have ever seen. Incredible. But he doesn't seem to have made the same impact over here as you have in England. Well, I think the reason being that it just uh, publicity-wise, he wasn't known. Uh, he opened here in, in at the Huntington Hartford uh, Theater, it was called then, and it's now called the Doolittle Theater. And I don't think that they had enough publicity on him to... Uh, build up who he was and he got wonderful reviews and everything but it just didn't uh, commercially just didn't come off who wins when you play golf against each other <laughs> well that that comes and goes you know we jive each other he's a Bruce pretty good golfer but he got very meticulous about his game very meticulous and so we get on about that a bit you know and send him up sometimes but uh, do you prefer playing golf these days to performing oh no nothing like performing or being in theater. So how far ahead have you planned? Well, right now, I'm kind of loose at loose ends. There, there's several things. Things are very quiet over here right now. Uh, I've done a couple of television shows, Mother She Wrote, and I uh, did a thing called uh, Good Sports with Farrah Fawcett and, uh, and her hubby, Ryan O'Neill. I enjoyed that very much and loved working with Angela Lansbury. Uh, but outside of that, uh, it's a very quiet period. I thought I was going to do a concert tour uh, over here. It was, was supposed to start around the first part of March. As it isn't as busy, you, you never really know until you get started or have signed the contracts. And after six months of, of talking to them, they finally said, well, it's going to be fine in 93. We said, wait a minute, 93? We're talking about 92. And so I think what they probably found is that things weren't going too well. They decided to cancel it for a while, you know. <laughs> Do you still enjoy performing as much as ever? Yeah. As long as I can sing, 
halfway decent, and I can still sing pretty good. Um, I, I love it. I love entertaining. Uh, I love. I feel I've been given a gift, and I think I should give it back. Do you still get nervous before you go on stage? Oh yeah. I don't get, you know, terribly nervous. I have uh, little little uh, nervous twitches and things that I. But you learn to use nerves, you know. And as you get into a show, it's always good to work yourself up a bit and not become too self-satisfied with the way things are going because that's when you tend to get dull, I think. It's always struck me you've been very lucky to have this dual gift of being able to sing and act. So you've had two careers, one you could always fall back on if the other one didn't work out. Well, I have been able to, you know, and that's, I've been very fortunate. The acting has always fascinated me. When I first studied singing, uh, I studied to be a, a serious singer. I wanted to be a concert singer, serious concerts. Leader and French and German and um, all the things, uh, Italian. I didn't particularly want to go into opera because I'm finding out I was a bass. I knew that uh, bass is generally old men. You know, there are few few parts. Uh, not so, I mean, the marriage of Figaro and uh, Don Giovanni and things like that. But uh, I'm kind of a uh, anxious person. I like to get things going. And I didn't want to go through all of that. And uh, I actually signed for it with a concert agency, and the first thing they had me do was sing for Oscar Hammerstein. And he took me to New York, and I auditioned for Carousel, Carousel, and then went into Oklahoma. And that's how I got into uh, doing musicals. Um, since that time, I've done a lot of musicals and things like that, but I've never been successful on Broadway or in London, on the West End. It's rather curious, you know, I can't seem to find the right vehicle. Were you from a musical background originally? No, no. I had an aunt who had a very fine voice, but uh, my father was a coal miner. My mother was a paper hanger. You know, she was born, and raised in a farm, and my my father was raised in the coal mines. So, were you overheard singing in the shower once or something? <laughs> no, not quite like that. Almost, very, very, very close to that. I uh, auditioned for a man named George Houston, who had a great deal to do with. Uh, getting me started. I was, I was kind of a reprobate as a young man, I'm afraid. And uh, I never took things too seriously until he uh, took some interest in me. Were you always a bit of a show-off as a kid, though? No, actually, I'm very shy. Very shy. I was so damn skinny. I was very skinny. And that made you self-conscious? Very self-conscious, and, not, and you know, I had a kind of rough childhood. Was this show business like a sort of fantasy to get out of that sort of tough time? I don't think it was. I don't think it was a fancy. I, although I loved, I used to love to go to movies and see movies and things like that. And uh, was the one which inspired you as a child? Nobody in particular. The singers that inspired me were John Charles Thomas and Lawrence Tibbet, whom you probably would, maybe wouldn't even recognize, but they were great, great concert singers. And and uh, Lawrence Tibbet was the first successful American baritone at the Metropolitan Opera in New York and was a wonderful singing actor. He was a good friend of this George Houston, the man that uh, helped me out. And I sooner, later on, was at a concert and uh, as a young singer and won a contest and he was the guest artist that night. I sang as one of my, I sang two songs that I did, Oasis and Osiris from the Magic Flute. And I did the song of the flea. And he came out and did his concert, and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I was going to sing the song of the fleet this evening as an encore, but he said, The young man before me did it so well, I don't think we need to hear it again. <laughs> you know, it was so wonderful. So I introduced myself to him later and told him that I was wor working with 
George Houston, and he sat me down, and he was so wonderful to me, and advised me and uh, complimented me on the work that I had done so far. And uh, I never saw him again after that. But uh, those kind of things happened to you, and uh, I kept studying. And when I, I did, I did some con I did about four concerts, and they were quite successful. Then I signed with this agency and uh, sang Rose Kammerstein and took a different direction entirely. When did you first realize you had a special voice or a special gift? I didn't, I didn't start studying seriously until I was 20. I just had a good ear. I could sing. I, I like to just kind of croon things. Um, one night in Ocean Park, California here, I was about oh, 18, 19 years old. And on Friday nights, they had big bands, dance bands, things like that, come in. And there was a band by the name of Tommy Tucker. On Friday nights, they would have little singing contests. And I was dancing with this girl that I sort of had an eye on. And uh, she said, you know, you sing, so why don't you get up and do something? So I said, well, what do you think I should? She said, yes, go ahead, go ahead. So I got, I, I did, I did uh, that old feeling, an old song, wonderful old song. And uh, I sang pretty well and uh, got a big hand and came off and there was a, a singer for Tommy Tucker by the name of Amy Arnell. And she was sitting in a soda fountain and as I walked by, she said, young man, wait a minute. And uh, I said, yes. She said, you sang very well. She said, but your voice is, is, is uh, too good for that kind of singing. You have a, a, a serious voice singing voice, a wonderful quality in your voice. You should take it up seriously. I said, well, thank you very much. I'm very pleased with that. And uh, I thought, maybe she knows something. I don't know, because, you know, you really don't hear yourself the way other people hear you. So little things like that kept happening. Are you glad you started when you did, or would you perhaps like to have started now in show business? Oh, no. no I, I only regret that I didn't have enough uh, background. But do you think it was a good era to start off in? More opportunities. I, I, I don't think that anything better could have happened to me. I really don't. Timing is everything. It's incredible, the timing. Because uh, all this happened right at the, at the end of the war. And everybody was trying to do things. And uh, for me, I did a very, fine, very good job. I'd cut off all bridges because I just, it's something I said, I've got to take a shot at. When you look back at those old musicals that you, that you graced in those days. Do you look back with great pride, or are you sometimes a little bit embarrassed by your performances? There are some things that I'm not too happy about, particularly in pictures. I've never felt I was very good in pictures. I'm a slow study, and uh, they work very fast in pictures, and most of the pictures I did, they didn't block anything. But blocking, I mean, you take a song, and you do it, and if you block it, as to how they're going to shoot it, you can learn an awful lot about that. And they very seldom ever did that. And you step into roles like Kiss Me Kate and Kismet. They're very difficult roles, very difficult roles. And uh, fortunately on, on, on Kiss Me Kate, I had a very good friend named Lou Calhern, who was a great Shakespearean actor and a great actor, period. And he and I were great friends, and he helped me a great deal. Came to Kismet, I always felt I was too big for the part, and uh, physically too big. Vince Miller and I didn't get along at all. The director, we didn't see eye to eye about a lot of things, and so it was not a happy occasion. It was a very difficult picture to do. So a lot of things like that. Most of the things that I've done on stage, I feel I've done a pretty good job. 
were you aware that it was a sort of history-making phase that you were involved in when you were doing the musicals on screen? And no, I'd, no, of course not. My gosh, no. But, you know, you, uh, I never had that kind of ego. Uh, I was just I was overwhelmed. I was chosen to do these things, actually, because I came to Broadway. I, the first musical I ever saw was Carousel. And I learned it in three days in audition, and they signed me to a three-year contract. I did that for three weeks, then went out and went into Oklahoma. Well, I did in a week and went into Oklahoma. And fortunately, I, I worked with uh, Ruben Mamouyan, who was the original director on Oklahoma. And he helped me enormously. And that, by the time I came to the pictures, I had developed no technique in acting. I was just off the seat of my pants. That can work for a while. But then you have to develop some kind of uh, technique. You, you can't, if a person can act, you can teach them how to act better. I don't think you can teach anybody how to act. You either can or you can't. Uh, in pictures, most of the great motion picture actors generally come from theater. And even today, uh, today today's actors, brief actors, they all come from the, the universities. They have wonderful uh, schools, and, and they work, and they learn their craft. And I, I was really raw when I came into movies. Now you worked with some great actors and actresses. Who were your favorites over the years? Oh, gosh. I love working with Katie Grayson. She was wonderful. And Janie Powell. We only did one picture together. But I uh, worked with her in theater, and she's a real Trojan to work with. Connie Towers worked with Connie on, on several things. We did Kiss Me Kate and uh, Camelot together. I've worked with people that you wouldn't know about in, I did a lot of La Mancha around in tents and things like that. And worked with some wonderful women who, Aldonzas, Aldonzas, incredible girl by the name of Bernice Massey, who uh, was probably, I think, the finest Aldonza I've ever seen. She was wonderful. What about the ones that you wish you hadn't worked with? Can you say <laughs> Oh, there are a couple. There are a couple, yes. I wish they should be nameless, you know. <laughs> I'm sure they probably didn't, didn't care about working with me either. But uh, I'm not very gentle when it comes to people. I, I, I can't stand people who paraphrase and who take liberties and who just feel the entire center of the whole universe. And it's happened to me a couple of times. So you don't like the Hollywood star bit? Uh, no, I hate that. I hate that. You don't find much of that, really. You really don't. Because the work is too hard. I have found over the years that very few people that I couldn't get along with. Very, very few. You've always come across as the, the ideal American gentleman. Are you happy with that image? Uh, well... Maybe I come across that way, but the people that know me don't see me that way. I can be rather brusque at times. I don't, uh, I can take a lot. But once I've had it, I've had it, and I get, I get pretty, pretty rough. Yeah, what do you like when he leaves you cool? Like a coal miner, you know. My mouth gets a little bit uh, risque, shall you say, and uh, I just, when I cut people off, that's the end. Does singing help you to get rid of a lot of pent-up emotions sometimes? I never thought about it that way. When I get through with a, a good concert, when I feel, feel I've done a good concert, it's a wonderful high. And uh, I have learned over the years how to, to handle that and to come down. That's one of the hard parts about young people, when they have all this adoration and to, to accept it and find out how to handle it. It's terribly difficult. I've, I've never had that wild adulation like, you know, the Beatles or, or Presley or people like that. 
they, you know, they, they, they can't go anywhere. They have to build some kind of world around them. And I've always been fortunate enough that I could, I, I got hidden behind beards a lot. And uh, so in pictures, after I got through, I can walk down the street, people say, uh, didn't judge? I said, no, I know what you mean, but that's not me. Think was your best performance ever? I think I think the best performances I've given were in two shows. I think I think it was a very good curling. I think I was one of the best curlings they had. And I say that uh, honestly and truly. I think because Mamoulian helped me enormously in that part. And then La Mancha, I think I was a very good keyboarder. And in a wonderful uh, musical called Shenandoah. I was awfully good in that. And uh, I, uh, as far as the play is concerned, I went out and I did uh, Franklin Roosevelt in Sunrise at Campobello and surprised a lot of people. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. What's your favorite musical and your favorite song from a musical as well? <clears throat> oh, I have several favorite musicals. Most Happy Fellow, La Mancha, Shenandoah. Those are the ones that are more demanding. Kiss Me Kate can be great fun. Kismet can be great fun. I've since gone out in theaters and found my way in Kismet of doing it. Uh, but I think the most satisfying of all of them, there are two of them, Shenandoah and uh, La Mancha, because they're, they're fabulous parts. They're very deep parts. And uh, great, great songs to sing. So which is your favorite song? <laughs> Probably Old Man River. I've been singing that song ever since I was a young kid, and I never tire of singing it. I've, I've got other songs that I, I enjoy singing, naturally. Um, I enjoy singing. I do a, a medley of songs from La Mancha, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, you know, is, is uh, one of the thing about Oklahoma is the fact that you can come into the theater, and you can feel like, I don't feel like we're going to do it tonight. I, and you start out, and all of it, it catches up with you, and by the time you walk out of the theater, you're just on air. It's just that kind of a show. Doing Oklahoma in London was incredible, just incredible. The audiences were so wonderful. They they just ate it up and they loved it. So I never I never tired of doing Oklahoma. I did. I did it for three years. I got tired, but I never tired of doing it. Have you ever tried or considered trying writing your own musical? No, no I, I don't have that facility. I I don't I don't have the patience to sit down and and I, I don't think I have the mind for. It. I am not a poet, and you have to be a, a poet to write. I'm, I'm amazed by some of the young writers today. There's some incredible poetry written today. There really is. Are you not one of these people that watches some performance nowadays and thinks, well, things ain't what they used to be? No, because they're not. Some some things are very good, I think, and some things are, you know, trash. But we had a lot of trash in our day, I thought. I was never a great jazz fan, I mean, uh, wild jazz. I, I would like soft jazz. I don't like hard rock at all. Some rock I like. Uh, I think some, some of the contemporary music today is written it is wonderful. And I do some songs in, in my show and in my concerts, and I do them. I don't know how well they would consider them done, but I, I, love, I love to do them. When you did Dallas, you sort of came into a completely new audience. I mean, yeah. everybody started watching you. Did you find that people almost didn't know you were a singing star as well? They just saw you as this, this actor? Very true. They didn't, you know. The thing that Dallas did for me also was the fact that, which I didn't like, 
I can't walk around London. Anyway, I used to love to go out and walk around London and just putz around, you know, and shop and think and look at the window. Because I love London. I can't do it anymore. You know, there's white hair, and I'm so damn big, and, and uh, that part of my butt I don't like, but it did it rejuvenate my whole career. And some people, when they heard me sing, were kind of amazed, you know, that I could sing. <laughs> and I think now, I think I'm singing better now in some ways than I ever did my whole life. Bass voice takes a long time to really come around. How did you find Dallas helped you in bringing you a new audience? Oh, boy. Well, it was widespread. Widespread. And Clayton was a good, rather good part to play. I never did understand him because uh, of some of the silly things you have to do at times. But I just, I just thought, well, this is a man who needs a lot to give. How did you get the part in the first place? Frankly, I don't know. I think the reason that they were, they were looking for somebody like me was the fact that uh, Jim Davis, who played Jock, uh, was in serious trouble physically. And I think that they they knew about it and they were starting to try, try to protect themselves and find somebody else either to play Jock or something else, you know. And uh, so when they when I called me in and they said, uh, have me play this this part. I said, fine. So I did two episodes, and then they signed me to ten episodes, and they signed me to the next twenty episodes after the years, and then went on. But I, I told him, I said, I don't, I don't think anybody could ever replace uh, Jim Davis in that part because he was it fit him so, and he was wonderful in it. Why do you think Dallas became the phenomenon that it did? Well, gosh, if I knew that, I'd go out and create another one. You know, those things happen. I think the only great picture that was ever made was Gone with the Wind. I mean, it was a great book. They set out to make it a great picture, and they did make it a great picture. But most great pictures, and pictures are surprises, they happen. Timing. Uh, a lot of times the people have a tough time getting things done. Uh, well, for instance, uh, goodbye, Mr. Chips. Robert Donut won the uh, Academy Award over Clark Gable's performance in Gone with the Wind. Simple little picture, you know, about this wonderful old teacher in school in England, and he was so brilliant in it. And I, I loved Donald. He's a, I, I loved watching him. I met him in England later on, and we became friends. And he's a wonderful, wonderful man. There's there's so many good actors today. They come and go so fast. It's, it's frightening. Well, of the actors in Dallas, who are you particularly good friends with? Who are you staying in touch with? I stay in touch with Ken Kirchival, and. Uh, that's, that's about it. This business is... What's wrong with the rest of them? Nothing. But it, we just never did really... Uh, I never did spend much time with them then. And you tend, when you're in something like that, to treat each other like you treat them in the park. Uh, Larry's a... I, I love Larry, I, and he's a wonderful guy to be around, but I, uh, we would never become confident or good friends, I don't think. I think we'd, have, we'd go different ways in life entirely. Did you find yourself becoming the father figure of the Dallas cast? No, I was a stepfather, and I felt that. Believe me, and that's what that's where they treated you. You know, it was a very interesting ten years, very and very trying. Sometimes those kind of parts really test your metal because they're not terribly well written sometimes, and uh, you have and you really work fast. One thing, everybody on Dallas had a good sense of humor, and they're 
professionals. That's another thing that I think I think the chemistry of the cast was good. Is it all over for Dallas now? I think so. Yeah. yeah. No comebacks in the shower or anything. <laughs> if you have to bring somebody back, I think that's a great way to do it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I I thought about it. I said, you know, why don't you just have somebody have a bad dream? That'd be the only way you can do it. And by God, that's the way they did it. When you became such a phenomenon in Dallas, did you find yourself being offered loads of other soap opera roles as well? No. No. Have you um, since? You don't have the time for it. Uh, there was one thing I would have liked to have done that I was offered. There was a rock opera called uh, Rock Cops, and they offered them the part of the chief of police. Couldn't do it because I was still working on Dallas. I just couldn't take the time because it was a part you had to took would take time. And it didn't make it. And I thought, I, I, I watched it, and I thought, I thought, I, I was, there were some wonderful performances in that thing. But I think it was just a little too far off the wall for most people. It had some wonderful music written for it. The writers did an incredible job on it. For the benefit of the, the Dallas fans, do you have any great anecdote from your years on Dallas that you'd like to relate? I'm not an anecdote person. The only funny thing that ever really happened is if you have two clowns. You had Larry and you have Pat. Pat Duffy is very fast and can be very humorous, and I think he's doing it in this, this new thing he's doing. And Larry, of course, is hysterically funny at times, with shtick and old-fashioned things, but he's very funny doing it. So you don't, you don't, when you're in a thing like that, two's enough. So I just sort of act as a straight man, you know. But the, the the dinners and the breakfasts at the, at the table were hilarious. I mean, we generally set the script up before we do it sometimes to keep our sanity <laughs> and then go ahead and do it, you know. And poor directions would go crazy. And Larry particularly was terribly funny in doing it. Now, you said that your career never has never reached the sort of state of Beatlemania or anything, but you obviously got a lot of fans through Dallas. What were the more sort of unusual items you got sent through the post or the more unusual requests you got from female fans? Gosh, you get a lot. I get a lot of people, you know, ask for money. I'm terribly rich and all that, you know. But I, I get some wonderfully sweet letters from people. And I get people uh, doing paintings, sending paintings of me and that sort of thing. One built a wonderful little gift box with a little, played a little song. I forget what the song was now, but uh, over the years, ten years on there, you get a lot of things. And uh, they seem to like the gentleness of uh, Clayton, you know. Many fans stayed with you from your earliest days. Yeah, there's a lot. My gosh, yeah. I go, I go to England um, and do concerts. I have a lot of people come up with programs from Oklahoma and have me sign them. You know, I have fans. I've got uh, fans that uh, write all the time, and I have a wife who's a magician. She she answers these herself and does most of them. We have. I have. There are several fans in England. That I see all the time when I go over there. What is this affinity with England? Well, yeah. England discovered me, really discovered me, because I, I had been in New York doing Oklahoma for two years, and nobody knew who the hell I was. I had a big beef with a guy. When I worked with Mamoulian, he showed me so many things about the character. It was so wonderful. And there was another man who had done some direction and was very jealous of Mamoulian. Uh, so he came backstage one night, and I was a performance, not too good then, I suppose, and he started yelling at me about 
So I said, wait a minute. I said, that's the direction that Mamoyan gave me. And I'm not going to change it. I don't care what you say. Well, he went into a tirade, and they were going to take me up before equity. And I said, I don't care what you do. So we didn't speak for a long time. And I was the last choice to come to England. And they finally came around and said, well, look, we're, you want to go to England? And I said, sure. But uh, not for the, what I'm working for here. As you say, you get recognized a lot, partly because of your height. Are you more comfortable about your height now? And, and do you like I'm being recognized? My height never bothered me, except I think the big men generally are, sit back more. The more quiet. I don't, I don't like to be too uh, open about things because I, the size, if you're going to do something, you have to do it. I learned that on stage. If you make a gesture, you make it. Otherwise, it sounds it's puny. What's the big difference with people going up to you in the street over here and in, in London, for instance? Not much, really. You know, they're, they're very, very, very gentle, very quiet about it. And they, say, they say, I just love you in Dallas and we miss it, you know. And in England, I sign autographs sometimes for an hour, an hour and a half after the concert and meet uh, these the people. It's just so sweet and, and lovely. They really are. And, uh, I really enjoy it very much, just talking to them. They can be terribly funny at times. They get very nervous and say terribly funny things. What's the funniest thing you've ever been told? Oh, <laughs> you, you don't remember these things. You just don't. You know, if, if, as I said, I'm not a writer. Otherwise, I probably would put them down in a notebook. And, and, uh, and uh, what's the biggest compliment you've ever been paid? I, I gave up reading reviews a long time ago. I go by um, peers and people that, that I know. And I think that uh, my concerts, when I do them, uh, I get generally two or three standing ovations. And that's about the biggest compliment I can get, I think, is when you entertain somebody and they just, boom, stand up. It's, uh, it's a terribly exciting and a very humbling thing to happen, that happens to you. I don't like people come, come up and say, gee, I love the way you did that, the way you picked it up. And I say, don't tell me that. I'll blouse it up. I'll drop it. I'll do something wrong with it, you know. I think uh, when I did La Mancha, the same thing. Boom. And Shenandoah, the same thing at the end of it. That, to me, is, 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 is about the best compliment that you can get because it's about as honest as it can be. They have enjoyed what you've done, and you have moved to such a point. And um, it's not something that you can really control. It's something you throw yourself into, and you do, and they, and they go along with you, or they don't. Now, as you mentioned earlier, you're soon to be honored in Britain for your work for the NSPCC, isn't yeah. it? That must mean a great deal to you. It does, yeah. I was sitting around one night up in, on one of my first concert tours in Liverpool. Willie Morgan came up and introduced himself. And I had watched Willie a lot of times playing football, you know, over there. Uh, 1954, I did uh, some variety. And I was up in Liverpool on the, during the November. And I was amazed at his dexterity. And so we had a good night, and uh, a couple of nights later, I was in Manchester, I think it was, and he came in and uh, said, let's go out and have a drink. So fine. And uh, he said, would you be interested in, in hosting a, a golf tournament in Manchester for abused children? I said, I'd be very honored to do it. And so he said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be in touch with you. And that's how it came about. And uh, they put it together. Uh, it's been an enormous success. And so wonderful two or three days. Uh, I invite people from over here who I can get. You know, it's, it's difficult to get people because of timing and people working.
direction. Why children? Why did you choose that area particularly to help? Well, I, I just think that of all the people in this world that we need help, it's children. And if you can start at the bottom and, and help somebody, it, it's, it happened in a, in, a, in a similar way to me. I came from a very coal mines and depression, very disastrous area, and went through a lot of that, a lot of abuse, and not, not physically, sometimes physically, because I had an older brother who was very, very mean. And uh, I know what effect it had on me. And I was fortunate enough to meet the right people in, in my life that uh, helped me along. And I think that anything you can do to help a child and lift them, you can only help yourself and further their life and further somebody else's life. And it will spread just like anything bad spreads. Good will spread just as fast if you create it. If you can come over and you can do something like this and raise money to, to help them, then I think that's one of the best... Uh, things that you, you can do in life, and I am very honored and, and very happy that I was selected to do this. Yes, I have a daughter who's, uh, let's see, Kaya is 42, Christine and Gunnar. What do they all do? Kaya and, and Christine are housewives. My son, Gunnar, is a, he's a kind of a free wheeler. He never went, never went to a university or college, but he knows an awful lot about medicine and cleaning up water and things like that and he's a earth first kind of person and he's always and he's and he's, uh, he's got things working now he cleans up water he's just about ready to, to break loose and make himself an awful lot of money to come with. and with no education except that he just and great with words he, he had an uncle that was a pharmacist and maybe some of that is with him I don't know you know so, but they're none of them in the business. Has it been tough for them, though, growing up with a famous father? I would think so. Yeah, because they don't see—they didn't see much of me. Because I'm either touring around. It's, it's very hard in that respect. I mean. Do you regret that? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. But those are the things that you have to handle in your life, and it does affect you. And it did affect me in some of the things that happened to me. We have a very good relationship now, the three of us, I think, much better. But we, we see each other or talk to each other at least two or three times a week. Where do they all live? They live right here in California, right around Los Angeles. My, my oldest daughter was married to Ever James Olmos, the uh, Mexican actor. And they're, they're in the process of being divorced now, but unfortunately. And I have uh, seven grandchildren. I have six grandsons and one granddaughter. And, um, Do you find yourself indulging the grandchildren, perhaps in, in a way which you couldn't indulge your own children? Uh, no, really, because I have a separate life with, with Judy, and we've been married now for 22 years. And uh, a lovely daughter was 17. And uh, I am not really good with children. I'm too strict, uh, or it seems so. Even, even with, with my, my own daughter, she has a wonderful mother. I am just now beginning to be fairly intelligent, and uh, I, but, I, but I've learned that, and I told Judy when she became pregnant, I said, I'm going to have to step aside, because if it, if the baby and the child are going to come first in your life, and I'll be second. And I said, I don't mind that. I want you to understand that, that I don't mind that, and I'll help you all I can. Why do you think you're so strict? Probably my training, my life. A 
most most of the, the children today uh, they have no respect for things. That's what that's what really frightens me. And I I I, I think that television and news news media have had a lot to do with that. They they tend they use too much way too much violence on television now and too much sex. It, it, there's there's no no I don't think so. It, And if somebody finds a new way to kill somebody, the first thing the newscast tells them exactly how to do it and how they can go out and do it. They train them. And I think that something's got to be done about that. Otherwise, we're just, gonna, we're just training monsters. I don't think they're all that way. But an awful lot, we have a lot more now than we ever did before. I know when I went to school, if somebody was, was expelled for a day, my God. You know, you didn't, they, you didn't, you didn't walk, you walked the other side of the street for a couple of years to get over that onus, it was terrible. And uh, today, I mean, phew, you go to the school room and the teacher has no, I got knocked out of my seat several times. Wham! And I deserved it. Do you live in fear of this violent country then? No. I, I, I don't, but I'm damn careful where I go. And You're very protective of your wife and family. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever I can do to protect my do. You've been married, as you say, for 22 years, which is almost a record in Hollywood, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, not really. We'll look, we'll look at Craig, no, Craig uh, Stevens and uh, Alexis Smith. They have one other couple, then. Very, very few like that. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough business to be married for a long time, although I've been married all my life. I got married the first time in 1943, so I've been married for many, many years. Why do you think that didn't work out? Too young? Too young. I was, you know, busy trying to do something myself, and a selfish business, this business. And if you're given an instrument that you have to work with it, and learn, it, 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 you have to be selfish with your time, with your thoughts to develop it. And people say, oh, you just open your mouth and sing. Well, it wasn't always like that. I, I sing pretty easily now, but it took me a long time to learn how to do that. It's a technique, and, and it doesn't come easy. Do you think this marriage, then, you learned a lot from the first marriage, and you Corrected on your mistakes. Yeah, and I, I think I was ready too. I think growing up, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm about 18 years old, I think, actually. Um, you know, but I'm married to a wonderful woman now, and I, the minute I met Judy, I adored her. One of those crazy things. And I, I was 50 years old, and she was 24, and I, I went home and went right to the mirror because when I get in trouble, I go to the mirror and just have a good talk with myself. And I said, you know, you're a stupid old man. You're a juvenile. How could this happen to you? You've got to be demented. So the age gap hasn't shown? No. It's been wonderful. Just wonderful. And she's the most giving person I've ever known in my life. Just incredible. And fortunately, we've been able to, she's been able to travel with me. And we drug poor Leslie all over the place. And she was always had in a cardboard box or something backstage, pulling around and having fun. And uh, she's taught me a lot. And she's great fun. Helped me enormously. Do you worry about the passing of time and getting older? And that's just something's going to happen to them. Since I'm worried about it. Um, Does Judy care, help to keep you young and enthusiastic? Yeah. <laughs> she said, "I said, look, honey, when I'm 125, you'll be 101. You know, so she said, that's what I want. You know, 
I said, you really want to take care of this snotty old man, for God's sake? <laughs> Does she make sure that you eat healthily and you exercise she and what sort of thing? At the times, I said, for God's sake, leave me alone. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You know, as you tend to get older, you, don't, you tend not to care too much about your presence and how you dress and so forth. And when you're in this business, you're in, in, in pictures and on stage, you always have to be just so and that sort of thing. And after a while, you get the hell with it. I don't want to wash my hair today. I'm not going to wash. And like today, she said, I said, look, my hair is fine. I'll be fine. She said, not for you. Go in and do it. You know? So I did. You know, and it always strikes me that you're getting paid for some everything you love doing, whether it be playing golf, acting, or singing. Well, I, I tell you, you know, I, I feel like I'm one of the chosen people because I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. Not many people get that opportunity. And I, I every time I ever kind of get kind of low about something, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're doing what you want to do. And so get off your head and handle it. It's, uh, you just don't see that many people that have that opportunity in life. Do you think you've led a charmed life then? I don't know how charmed it's been, but I tell you, it's, it's incredible some of the things that happened to me. And the timing is everything in life. And, uh, bouncing around this whole, you, you go up and you go down. Um, you're never on top all the time. Nobody can stay there. I don't care who they are. You just can't. So you have to build a kind of a resilience within yourself to be able to, to write out those things and to understand that when you're up there and, and uh, adjust yourself and come back. You've got to come back to reality because that's a very unreal world up there. What's well, been the happiest time in your life? I've been happy for a long time. Uh, Judy has helped that because uh, we have been, I've adored her been 24 years now. I have been able to do what I want to do. I'm not doing, I wanted to be a concert artist in the beginning, really. And now I'm kind of s satisfying that to a certain extent by going out and I do two hours. I do about 40 songs. And people say, you do 40 songs? I said, yeah. And I said, I'm amazed they're still there when I get through. Because I tried it out first here in a place called Sun City, Arizona. And uh, it went like gangbusters. I couldn't get over it. I wasn't a very good voice. I had a bad cold. And I thought, my God, I, I can do it. And what I do, I do about 55 minutes, and I give them a rest of about 20 minutes, and then I come out and do the rest. And uh, it's sort of, it's my way of doing concerts. How do you look to the future, though? Do you see yourself gradually slowing up? Mm -hmm. if, if I get to the point where I don't feel that I'm singing the way I should sing, I'll stop. So you actually think you might retire one day? I won't retire entirely because I'm having too much fun. <laughs> you know, too great a life. Too much fun. There are too many, you meet too many wonderful people in, in this kind of life. And uh, meet exciting people. Bumping into something new and seeing something new, and people in this business are, you know, they're, you meet a lot of bright people. It, it's uh, never ending. In the hopefully very dim and distant past, how would you like to be remembered? Oh gosh, uh, I'd like to be.